following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. There is great joy in serving God in His power. When His power is not present, things are dead, and they have to be jazzed up with the world's entertainment. That's what's happened in the church today. The make-believe is ruling. The make-believe presence of God, but it's not God's presence. When the power of God is present, everything changes. Everything is in technicolor. It's vibrant. It's alive. The church is eagerly looking for what's going to happen next. It's Action City. When we look at the story of the New Testament church, well, let me just share with you. And reverential awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Well, what were those wonders and signs? People who could not walk were healed, and they were dancing and shouting. People who were blind can now see. People who could not speak are now singing praises to God. People who had all kinds of diseases are suddenly healed. And they're dancing and shouting and praising God, and everybody's excited. People who were dying have been fully restored. This is, this is vibrant. It's alive. It's the power of God. There's great joy in it. Listen. And with many other words... He warned them and exhorted them, you must be saved from this crooked generation. In other words, leave the bondage behind. Come and join us in this wonderful celebration of God's presence. Uh, Acts 3, verse 44, and all the ones believing were in the same area. They were of one mind. They were all agreeing with each other. And they were having all things in common. And from time to time, they were selling the property and goods and were distributing these 
to everyone in proportion to what anyone was having need. And from day to day, continuing steadfastly with one mind in the temple, the breaking of bread from house to house. They were going to each other's homes and hosting one another. Love and hospitality were flowing. They were sharing food with rejoicing and generosity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to the church from day to day the ones being saved. So in addition to all of the miraculous things that were happening, people were making a one-time decision. I will serve this Jesus. I will belong to him. And my life is now utterly given to him. I ground the sword, the weapon of my rebellion against Almighty God. I'm not going to walk in it anymore. I'm going to walk clean. And there was great excitement about that and great joy in walking clean. You know where we get into trouble? When we begin to judge one another. We begin to second guess one another. We begin to cut one another off. That brings despair and darkness into the body of Christ. Righteousness is what opens the window of heaven. Confessing our sins, getting right with Jesus and with one another, that's what opens the window of heaven and allows the power of God in great joy to flow into the church. Now, as this excitement was going on, the disciples faced beatings from the Sanhedrin, from the Sadducees. They were bloodied. But it did not dim their rejoicing because they went forth from their beating with great celebration and joy. Now, a complaint arose. The Greek widows felt that they were being mistreated. They were being bypassed in the the money, the food, the provision. They felt like they were being treated as second-class citizens and that the Jewish people who were of Abraham instead of converts were having the advantage. Now, there's going to be a great battle in the church. And that battle is going to be focused around whether we are a subculture of Judaism or whether we are separate from Judaism in the sense that we have a relationship with Jesus Christ and the old covenant is finished and we now live under a new covenant. We'll watch that play out in the life of the church. But for right now, they quickly solve the problem. The apostles say, look, we can't handle the distribution of all of the food and the supplies and the money. We can't do that. We don't have time. There are too many demands on our time that we preach. And if we're preaching and if we're praying, we're meditating, we're meeting with Jesus, we can't do everything. Now, that's a wonderful problem because then a wonderful solution is given. And the solution was to appoint deacons. Two of the deacons we know very well by name. The first was Stephen. And the second one was Philip, who had Holy Spirit transportation. <laughs> well, seven deacons were appointed. These were men full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Now, don't buy into the modern disinformation about the church that deacons are only there to care for the welfare of the people. No, these deacons preached, they taught, they performed miraculous signs and wonders in the healing of the sick and the restoring of the dying. See, there's no separation in the New Testament between pastors 
and laity. Pastors have a very specific function according to Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and that is the same as prophets, teachers. They're all there to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. They're not there to do the work of ministry. They're there to equip God's people to do the work of ministry. So as the numbers increased, as the workload increased, they called the whole church together and said, look, choose seven men and we'll ordain them. We'll lay hands on them and we'll pray God's blessing on them. And that's what they did. Now, Stephen, this amazing man, not an apostle, a deacon who was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. This man, working great wonders and signs among the people, this is Acts, the sixth chapter, verse 8, working great signs and wonders among the people. But some of the ones out of the synagogue, having arisen, called the freedmen, the Alexandrians, and ones from Asia, they began to dispute or argue with Stephen about what he was saying about the Messiah. But they were not able to withstand his wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was able to wipe out their arguments and show them that they needed to come and receive Jesus. Many priests at that time were being converted, were being transformed and changed and becoming followers of the way, followers of our Lord Jesus. So they went behind Stephen's back. They stirred up the people. They bribed men to lie about Stephen and what he was saying. And they caused such a row. I mean, Jerusalem was being turned upside down. You understand, this was not something happening in a casual back corner. This was dynamic. It was powerful. It was, it was changing Jerusalem. And the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the rulers did not want Jerusalem to be changed. They were happy. They had an arrangement with Rome. They were making money. Life was good, and now comes this Jesus company, and they're turning Jerusalem upside down in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. They could not withstand the power of the Holy Spirit in Stephen. They bribed men to lie about him, and... They violently, that's what the scripture says in chapter 6 of Acts, verse 11. They violently seized him and brought him to the council. They put him on instant trial. Now, I want you to note in verse 15, and all the ones sitting in the council, having fixed their eyes on him, saw his face as the face of an angel. In other words, Jesus was manifesting himself in the physical face of Stephen with a brilliant light. Now, Everyone is not going to be pleased by the proclamation of Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Everyone is not going to be converted. In fact, the vast majority will utterly reject Jesus. Those of us who accept him will be rejoicing in his presence, in his power, in the glory of following after him, the privilege of being called Christians, as they were in Antioch. 
the joy of being able to be persecuted for the name of Jesus, even to be beaten in honor of Jesus? There was great rejoicing. Now the high priest speaks after being very dignified and acting like he was the man, said, are these things so? And so Stephen began to answer, as was the custom in that day. He began to give an account of what he had done and why he had done it. He began to give account. And the way he gave account was to tell the story of the Jewish people as they were taken by the hand of God through Moses out of Egypt, walking through that dry desert, being completely protected by a cloud by day and a fiery pillar by night. Their clothing did not wear out. They had more than enough totally balanced nutrition in the manna that fell in the early hours of every morning. They had everything they needed, and God led them. He goes through this, and then finally, in verse 51 of of chapter 7, he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, Now he's speaking to the people in front of him. And he's saying to them, you're stiff-necked. That was something that Moses had said about them and God had said about them in the wilderness. He called them stiff-necked. Uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, and so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed the ones having announced beforehand concerning the coming of the righteous one, of whom you now have become traitors and murderers, who received the law by direction of angels, and you kept it not. I mean, he's just stripped them of of any idea that they could possibly be righteous before a holy God. He said to them the same thing Moses said in the wilderness, you stiff-necked people, you uncircumcised people. You recognize what circumcision is. It's a sign given by God to the children of Israel that man has no power in himself to create life, that it is a miracle of God. I don't want you to quickly go by that statement I just made. All of us have been raised as Americans believing we have the power to go do whatever we need to do and whatever we want to do. If it's going to be, it's up to us. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. We've got all these sayings. They're all lies. I can produce nothing of value in the spirit realm with my flesh. Jesus said, you can do nothing without me. And I and the church have proven that over the last years. And perhaps you've proven that as well. Being contained by the Holy Spirit. Not being allowed to move forward and progress in the way you would like to progress. I praise God if that's happened to you because it means you're being held back by the power of the hand of God because he wants you to recognize you can do nothing of value without the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed the ones having announced beforehand concerning the coming of the righteous one. They killed John the Baptist. Herod did. I'm sure at instigation of the Jewish leaders. He says, you are traitors and you are murderers. Now, Peter has said some very straight things on the day of Pentecost. And then again, he said some very straight things. Shall we go back and just look quickly at at what Peter had said? If you look at Acts, the third chapter, Acts, the third chapter, verse 12, and Peter, having seen this, he replied to the people, men, Israelites, why are you wondering at this? Or why do you keep gazing at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made him walk? This is the man who was laid as a beggar at the gate beautiful at the entrance to the temple. And Peter and John, by the power of the name of Jesus, brought healing to him. Remember, he said, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have I give unto you. Rise up and walk. And he raised he raised him up and he was strengthened and he walked for the first time in his life. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied him in the presence of Pilate, he having decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and requested a man, a murder, to be released to you. But you killed the originator of life, whom God raised up from among the dead, which we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, this man, whom you see and know, was made strong by his name. And faith through him gave to him this complete soundness before you all. Now, brothers, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all of his prophets, that his Christ was to suffer, he thus fulfilled. Consequently, you must repent and must turn around for your sins to be wiped away so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Well, on the day of Pentecost, he said something very similar. He confronted them with the murder of Jesus. He said, you ask for Jesus to be murdered. You said, crucify him, crucify him. Now, in Acts 7, verse 54, now, having heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. There are three positions that you can take. The first position, I'm just going to go along to get along. I don't really know much about this Jesus, but I'm a Christian. I go to church. I might even pay my tithe. I might even read a little devotional book in the morning. I might even read a scripture once in a while. I might even shoot prayers at God when I need a parking place. But bottom line, you are lukewarm and you are dead. And the American church today is in that place. The American church is basically dead. Oh, we've got lots of sound and fury in the flesh, concerts, plays. And now everyone is starting to go back to church and they're going to try to rebuild the American church, the institution of the American church, the culture of the American church. It's not going to work. The church is not an institution. It's not a culture. It's a body. And Jesus is about a new kind of church now. It's time to let go of the old church. It's time to pray 
and to wait on God for something very different to happen and recognize that it's God who must bring this to pass. We can't bring it to pass. We can repent, we can turn from our sin, and we can wait on God. And then we can obey him when he speaks to us. So the first position is, look, I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to make the church work. I'm going to be a part of it. This is what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to go on with my life. And I'm going to be the church at Laodicea. Or I'm going to be the church at Sardis that is dead, but still pretends and goes through the motions. Secondly, we can be cut to the heart and we can enter into the joy of serving God. We can be cut to the heart and enter into the wonderful joy of serving God in his power, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Or there's a third place we can go. And that's where these men went. In bitterness, in anger, in judgment. Let me read it for you. Now having heard these things, they were being cut to the heart. That's the leap off point for either going back into lukewarm being set ablaze in the power of God by the Holy Spirit or becoming very angry. They were cut to the heart and they began grinding their teeth at him. That is an expression of absolute and utter murderous rage. My dad used to always say to me, Raymond, When you become a pastor, you either convert them or you make them mad, but don't leave them like they are. I have on this broadcast endeavored to do just exactly that. Some of you are so dead in your sin and in your institutional beliefs about God that it's almost impossible for any man to touch you it's going to have to be the Holy Spirit who touches you. Self-righteous. You have your little ways, narrow, unloving, unkind. But on the surface, everything's beautiful, baby. I'd rather have somebody really angry with me. I'd rather hear someone with fire in their anger than a lukewarm, so what, pastor? What are you talking about? Come on. Let's have a good time. Let's go watch the skins. Let's go to a movie. Let's go get a drink. Let's, let's, let's do something fun. We don't want to talk about this Jesus stuff anymore. I don't have time for people like that. I'm done with them. Now, having heard these things, they were being cut to the heart and began grinding their teeth at him. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, having looked intently into heaven, he saw the glory of God He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Look, I see heavens being opened, and the Son of Man having stood at the right hand of God. He is so excited. He knows his life is forfeit, but he is so excited. The glory of God is upon his face. His heart is rejoicing. He has spoken honestly the word of God to them, and now they have a choice. They can repent. They can roll over and go back to sleep. 
or they can murder him. He is full of the Holy Spirit. And as he looks into heaven, it does not say that he looked into heaven and saw the Son of God. It doesn't say that. He looked into heaven and he saw the Son of Man. The Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself because it identified the fact that he was a son of Adam and a son of the Holy Spirit. He was fully God and he was fully man. And three and a half years he walked on the face of the earth as that man and he called himself son of man. And now he's in heaven and he still is the son of man. He has gone to glory. He sees the heavens being opened and the son of man having stood at the right hand of God. Can you... Can you imagine this picture? Here is is Stephen, still on the earth, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. And he's about to suffer martyrdom. They're going to murder him. They're going to stone him to death. And he looks up. And he sees that Jesus is not seated on the throne beside the Father. He's standing up cheering for Stephen. Oh, my brother, my sister, I want Jesus to stand up from the throne of God and cheer me as I walk into whatever deep water he is calling me into. And if that's martyrdom, whatever it is, The joy of the Lord is walking in the power of God. And regardless of where he takes us, we rejoice for all things work together for the good. For him who loves the Lord, who was called according to his purpose, God is working everything out. And what rejoicing. No, at the point of being martyred and he is rejoicing. This is what Jesus will do for a man or a woman, will fill him, fulfill her with such glory and such confidence and such peace that nothing can disturb it. Even being executed will not disturb the peace of God when it finally comes and rests in your heart. And you know that Jesus is standing up from the throne of God, cheering you. Jesus is so intimately involved in the work of the gospel. This is his work. This morning I spent in prayer before him. And I was rejoicing. I was rejoicing that I can do nothing of my own. It is by his power. It is by his direction that the work of the church is moved forward. I've never seen people added daily to the body of Christ. The closest I came to it was in the Jesus movement. When we'd go out on the streets and we would talk with people and, and young people would turn and they would begin to weep and they would begin to repent of their sins, of the, of the bong they'd been smoking, of the of the drugs they'd been taking, of the crimes that they had committed. During that time, I was director of a place called The Gate in Washington, D.C. It was down on M Street. It was a a coffee house and a free medical clinic. The place would be packed out. We'd play music on, on Saturday night until 10, and then I'd begin to preach, talking about the gospel of Jesus, and to see people respond. 
to see men and women, young men and women, college age, turning to Jesus. I mean, I was barely older than they were. I was fresh out of seminary. I was rejoicing with them. I want to see this again. We have so grieved the Holy Spirit from our presence that now pretty much the church is just dead. We sing songs of glory, but there's no glory. We pray, but there's no unction. We preach, but there's no power. I'm heart sick over this. There's no joy in the work of the gospel or very little joy in the work of the gospel compared to what there would be if the power of God were moving and the Holy Spirit was present. I've never seen wholesale healing of the sick I'm sure there wasn't one sick person in all of Jerusalem. They'd been healed. People were coming from Jericho, from all over the cities around. They were coming, carrying their sick on pallets for miles and having them healed, dancing and rejoicing as wives were reunited with husbands and husbands were restored to wives and children were healed and restored. The lame could walk and the blind could see and the deaf could hear. The diseases were rebuked and gone. Boy, what a time. Now, please, I don't have time to go into it in depth, but this was the early rain. We're going to see another rain. we're going to see the rain that brings forth the crop. And it's going to be greater than what happened at Pentecost. How could it be greater than what happened at Pentecost? I don't know, but it's going to be because it's the final harvest of the earth. It's the coming of the Son of Man in glory and power. I want to be a part of that. Oh, I want to be a part of that. I walked into a a restaurant this morning, a Panera's. I know the manager. He came to my table. He said, Pastor, I've got to see you. I said, what's going on? He said, I'm hearing that your face is glowing with the light of God. I want to see your face. And he looked at me and he said, I see the presence of God on your face, Pastor. I was rejoicing in that, but I know it's nothing compared to what's coming. It's nothing compared to what's coming. The presence and power of God is going to be poured out, and people are either going to blow us off, discount us, roll over and go back to sleep, Or they're going to get angry with us and curse us and do us harm. Or they're going to repent of their sin and join us in a glad celebration in preparation for the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds of glory. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I want to tell you this morning and last night as I went to bed, I had such a sense that we have come to the end of the world, that Jesus is coming again. Do you hear it? The glad cry is going to break forth. The bridegroom is coming. The bridegroom is coming. Jesus is coming again. You better make sure that you have repented of your sin and you have oil in your lamps and spare oil to boot because you've spent that time with Jesus. You're one with him. You don't care what people 
say when they curse you, when they cut you off, when they leave. You only care that you're accepted by Jesus and his glory is in your face. And you're walking day by day in his presence. And you know him and he knows you and you love him and he loves you. What a glorious place to walk in. Well, they rushed Stephen out. I'm going to read you the account. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and rushed headlong upon him with one mind. And having cast him out of the city, they went to throwing stones at him. And the witnesses took off their garments and laid them at the feet of a young man being called Saul. And they were stoning Stephen while he was calling and and saying, Lord Jesus, please receive my spirit. He's calling to the one he sees, standing up, cheering for him. Receive my spirit. Then having bowed the knees, you see him being struck down to his knees as the stones are striking his body. He cried out with a loud voice, O Lord, may you not lay this sin to their charge. And after having said this, he fell asleep. It doesn't say, and he died. He fell asleep. We who believe in Jesus will never die. We'll just fall asleep. And we'll await that great resurrection day when Jesus, cheering for his people, comes in glory to claim what is his own. My brother, my sister, are you ready? Have you rolled over and gone back to sleep? Have you grown angry at rebuke in the straight gospel of Jesus? Or have you repented of your sins and gotten serious and earnestly pray and cry out and read the scriptures? Which of the three categories do you belong to? They ground their teeth, they were so angry but he was full of the Holy Spirit and full of joy. Which would you rather be, grinding your teeth in anger or rejoicing in Jesus even if they're killing you? I want to be the one rejoicing in Jesus even as the stones strike my body. Because that's only temporary. It's for eternity that we live. It's for Jesus that we live. We move and have our being in Jesus Christ. So it's time. It's interesting you heard in that beautiful song that we played at the beginning, Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Did you hear the words? The second blessing, which Wesley taught was that which entirely sanctified a man, totally removed the old nature from his heart and left him walking clean before God, serving the Almighty. That's my cry before God, for you, for me. The excitement of the New Testament church. Came out of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not out of concerts, not out of entertainment not out of famous speakers. It came from the Holy Spirit. And this first martyr 
lays his life down for Jesus. Now, I want to show you something that I don't want you to miss. Chapter 8. Now Saul was giving approval to his murder. And there came in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. But Saul was destroying the church, entering house by house, dragging away both men and women. He was taking them to prison. What's happening? Jesus knows that the church cannot remain in Jerusalem. They were to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But if they remain in Jerusalem too long, they will simply be a subset of the Jewish people. That was not what Jesus intended with the new covenant. He intended to take the Jewish people and the Christian people and make them one in himself, serving and worshiping him. It was his intent that everything in the earth should come under the lordship of Jesus Christ by the church. So in his wisdom, Jesus sees that it's necessary that the blood of a martyr be shed. The seeds of the gospel of Jesus Christ grow the fastest when they're fertilized with the blood of a saint. This persecution that broke out now against the Christian church was like a fist coming down on the Jerusalem church. And now these 15, 20, thousand members, however many there are in Jerusalem, scatter the Christians all over the world. Some of them go to Antioch, and there they begin to preach. They begin to teach. We're going to cover that story tomorrow. It was there that they were false, first called Christians or Christ followers. Up to that point, they were known as the people of the way, the narrow way. But now it's time for the church to broaden. And with great persecution, with fear, with terror of what was coming upon them, they pack up and they flee Jerusalem, many of them returning for the first time to their own countries and their own homes. And everywhere they went, they went in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they too proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. And so, literally, within one generation, the whole world had been notified about this Jesus. In one generation. I don't know what it's going to take in America for the American church to wake up. I pray it will not require the blood of the saints. I pray it will not require intense persecution. But in many lands it has taken that, and in many lands today, the blood of the saints is being shed. Five minutes. Now, what happened in China was of great interest to me. Several years ago, reports began to come out that young men had taken over the churches in China and they were bringing in Western entertainment. The ideas from the West were beginning to go into the Christian church in China. And the church's growth had dramatically slowed. And then the fist of persecution came down on the Chinese church. And suddenly the Chinese church was separated out into house churches. I'm not saying that God wants us all be in house churches. 
even though that's what I have in my home. But I'm saying that when the fist of persecution comes down on the church, it cleanses and purifies and separates the half-hearted from the fully committed. It separates out the rice Christians, the ones who are just there to get something free. It separates them out. And now they have to make a decision. Are they going to just call themselves Christians but be culturally wicked? In America, those who call themselves Christians are largely like everyone else in the culture, spending their money the same way, going to the same places for vacation, going to the same places for entertainment, sitting and watching the football games and the baseball games and all the other wickedness. We're like the world. In America, the church is like the world. The world has come into the church. So there's no clear separation anymore. It's an entertainment center. It's, it's where we have our nice little plays and our, our concerts that we charge people to come into the church for concerts. It's incredible to me. It's worldly. It's wicked. So... I don't know what's going to have to happen, but Jesus is not going to allow the Christian church in America to continue in this path. He's either going to bring a Saul to persecute us, blood is going to be shed, or we're going to do it the easy way, which seldom ever happens, where we simply make a decision and begin to repent for our sins and turn from our wicked ways and begin to earnestly seek after Jesus with all of our hearts. It's going to cost us everything in America. Well, we're out of time for today. I pray God's blessing for you. I'd love to hear from you. It's been a very slow week. And I know the bill is coming soon for radio. If the Holy Spirit agrees with you in your spirit and is calling you to give, would you please do that by going to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online or you can write to me, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346. Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Again, that's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Today, enter into the great joy of serving God in the Spirit. And if you do not have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, join me in praying for Pentecost in America. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon.